God bless you. Take your Bibles out today. If you would, turn to the book of Deuteronomy with me in God's Word. If you don't have a Bible study guide, please uh, uh, raise your hand. The ushers will get one to you this morning. And uh, let us this morning discover what the Lord is saying to His church. Deuteronomy chapter 27 within God's Word this morning. A woman went to her priest. A woman went to her priest and said, Father, can you remove a curse I've been living with for the last 40 years? Father, can you lift this curse off of my life? The priest said, my dear lady, maybe. But you'll have to tell me the exact words, the exact words that were used to put the curse upon you. Without hesitation, she came back and said, I now pronounce you man and wife. <laughs> We've been on a series, an interesting one. You know, after uh, more than 30 years of, of preaching, I have never embarked upon a series like this of the mountains of the Bible. The mountains of the Bible. There are so many mountain Bible stories within God's Word. Next week I have another one for you on Father's Day. Over and over again in God's Word, each and every mountain has a story, a word to us from God. So we've been on a series, Let's Go Mountain Moving, over these next several weeks. This morning I take you to two mountains. There's one mountain that I'll be talking about that we want to camp out on. The other, the other, the other mountain that I'm going to be talking to you about, you don't want to think about it, you don't want me to talk about it, uh, you want to avoid it, but you can't. It confronts all of us. I'm talking about a mountain described in Deuteronomy chapter 27, verse 12. When you cross into the promised land, this is Moses talking. The tribes of Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Joseph, and Benjamin shall stand upon Mount Gerizim to proclaim a blessing. And the tribes of Reuben, Gad, Asher, Zebulun, Dan, and Naphtali shall stand upon Mount Abel to proclaim a curse. There it is. Mount Gerizim was the mountain of blessing. Mount Abel is known as Curse Mountain. Curse Mountain. What's God's plan with Abel? Mount Abel. What's God's plan with this Curse Mountain? God's plan with Abel is not for you and I to climb it, not to cozy up to it. He definitely doesn't want us to camp out on it. He wants us to conquer it in the name of Jesus. This morning I share with you conquering Curse Mountain. Pray with me. Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord, we can't avoid this mountain. It stands before us. It hinders us. It's an obstacle. It confronts us, Lord. God, teach us how to conquer Curse Mountain. In the name of Jesus, amen. After entering the promised land, God commanded Israel 
to stand on two mountains. Mount Gerizim, the mountain of blessing, and Mount Abal, Curse Mountain. These two mountains are located in the very center of Israel, specifically Samaria. They are so close together that they're within shouting distance. What someone says on Mount Gerizim, what someone says on Mount Abel can be heard succinctly by all the people. Mount Gerizim. Why was that chosen as the Mount of Blessing? Mount Gerizim even today is a lush, fertile, fruitful mountain. While Mount Abel the very word Abel means bald stone. It's a rocky, barren, lifeless, sterile mountain full of thistles and weeds. God commanded through Moses that after Israel entered the promised land, one half of the people were to stand upon Mount Gerizim, and one half of the people were to stand upon Mount Abel. In the center, in the valley, would be the Levites, the priests, the Ark of the Lord, and Joshua. And as Joshua pronounced the blessings of God, if the people obeyed, the people would shout, Amen, those that were on Mount Gerizim. While those that stood on Mount Abel, when Joseph or Joshua would read the curses of God, if God was not obeyed, the people standing on Mount Abel would shout, Amen. Now, I can describe that scene. I can try to paint the picture with my words, but I have found out something in teaching, that the best the best retention of knowledge is accomplished through audience participation. Would you all stand to your feet right now, whether you're on the main floor or up in the balcony, would you stand please right now? With your back to the Mediterranean Sea, with your back to the Mediterranean Sea facing east, Mount Gerizim, would be on your right. The right was the hand of blessing. Mount Abel would be on your left, known as the hand of curse. Everyone on my right, you are on Mount Gerizim. And as I pronounce the blessings of the Lord, you will shout, Amen. All of you that are on my left, you are on Mount Abel. It does not mean that you are cursed. It's just part of audience participation. Don't read anything into this. Don't read just as it was in that day and time, so it is today. When pastor enumerates the curse of God, if he is not obeyed, you will shout, yes, so that all the people, and you're shouting over to them, okay? Not to me. You're going to shout oh, amen to them. You want them to hear it, okay? Because we're all in this together. And you're basically shouting your amens over to them. 
You're wanting them to know if we follow God and His ways, there will be blessing. If we disregard and abrogate God's word, we're under God's curse. Imagine the scene with me. Deuteronomy chapter 28, verses 1 through 6, Joshua, under the orders from Moses, Joshua recites the words of Moses, if you fully obey all of these commandments of the Lord your God, the laws I am declaring to you today, God will transform you into the greatest nation in the world. These are the blessings that will come upon you. Blessings in the city. And all the people on Mount Gerizim will respond by saying, Blessings in the field. Many children. Ample crops. Large flocks and herds. Blessings of fruit and bread. Blessings when you come in and blessings when you go out. And for those of you on Mount Abel, if you won't listen to the Lord your God and won't obey these laws I am giving you today, then all of these curses shall come upon you. Curses in the city. They're not as excited. Curses in the fields. Curses on your fruit and bread. The curse of barren wombs. Curses upon your crops. Curses upon the fertility of your cattle and flocks. Curses when you come in. Curses when you go out. And all God's people together would say, You may be seated. Mount Gerizim, the Mount of Blessing. Mount Abel, the Mount of Curse. Write it down. We conquer Curse Mountain by realizing God desires to bless and not to curse us. Deuteronomy chapter 30. At the end of all of this, hear the word of the Lord. I call heaven and earth to witness against you that today I have set before you life and death, blessing or curse. Oh, that you would choose life. I can't tell you how many times I have sat down with my children, either all three of them, or individually when we've had intense fellowship. And I have implored them, you keep going this way. You keep disobeying. You keep rebelling. You keep breaking the rules of the home that your godly parents have sat down. You reject God. You reject His Word. You disobey. And you're choosing defeat. You're choosing failure. You're choosing curse. You're choosing death. Only son, daughter, choose life. Choose blessing. It's a good life. It is a healthy life. It is a full life. It's eternal life. God, as a parent, is pleading with the children of Israel 
Let me continue. God says, oh, that you would choose life, that you and your children might live. Choose to love the Lord your God and to obey him and to cling to him, for he is your life and the length of your days. You will then be able to live safely in the land. This is not just an Old Testament word. It is a New Testament lifestyle. Choose life. Choose health and happiness. Choose the success of the Lord in following His word, His ways. You see, God wants to bless you and I more than we want to be blessed. I've had some people say, well, pastor, that's just an Old Testament thing. That's just for the children of Israel. Hear the word of the Lord in the New Testament. Hear what Jesus said. Jesus said in Matthew, Jesus said, which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts uh, to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him it's the heart of God to bless it is God's desire to make you a success it's God's desire to lift you up not to drag you down it's God's desire to prosper you to favor you to bless you if you can find something else in God's word where God wants to keep his people down and keep them poor and keep them cursed I'd like you to point it out because it's not in my Bible. You see, we often fail to receive God's best because we feel we're not deserving. We feel that we don't measure up. And so what we do, we turn God into a genie in an Aladdin's lamp. We turn God into Santa Claus. Reminds me of the little boy that six months out from Christmas, he started writing letters to God. He started writing a letter to God, God, I want a bike. And I promise to be good for the next six months. Then he'd come back and erase it five months, three months. You, you see where I'm going with this. He was down to one week, then one day. Finally frustrated, he said, God! He ran over to the nativity scene, the little manger Christmas nativity scene in the home, and picked up a figurine. Jesus, he wrote his letter, if you ever want to see your mother again, you better give me that bike for Christmas. We think we have to perform. We think we have to measure up. We think we have to do something to get God's love and his blessings. I want you to know straight from the start, to put things into balance. Yes, we need to obey the word of the Lord because his commandments keep us happy and healthy. They're there to protect us. They're boundaries of blessing. But I want you to know that God's blessings are not based upon who we are. They're based upon who he is. John chapter, 1 John 4, 8, God is love. The best definition and description of who God is is love. God doesn't love us because we're lovable. God doesn't love us because it makes him feel better. God loves us unconditionally. You don't need to live in fear of offending God or, 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 or losing his love. God's love isn't based on who we are or what we have done, but who he is. God is love, and he'll keep loving you no matter what. 
Nothing shall separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. God wants to bless you and I more than you desire to be blessed. See, we conquer Curse Mountain. We overcome Curse Mountain by recognizing God's plan of blessing, His blessing plan. God's blessing plan includes natural blessings. God gives us and enumerates for us all kinds of promises to bless us in the natural. For instance, promises of prosperity, Deuteronomy 8.18. Remember the Lord thy God, it is he that giveth thee power to get wealth. God gives us promises of health and healing. Worship the Lord your God and his blessing will be on your food and water. I will take away sickness from among you. God gives us promises of success. Deuteronomy 28, the Lord will send a blessing on everything you put your hand to. Promises to give us all things. Matthew 6.33 Seek first His kingdom and His righteousness and all these things will be given you as well. But natural blessings are not enough. How many, how many have pursued natural blessings and ended up in a dead end? How many of us think, oh, if I can just get that car, if I can just get that car, if I can just get that car, I will be so happy. If I can just get that boat, if I can just get that boat, if I can just, if I can just get that lake house, if I can just have a lake house, then I'll be happy. If I can just have a cottage on a lake, then I'll... Let me tell you about that stuff. I've been working my fingers to the bone to be happy lately, and all I end up with is bony fingers. The more you own the more ends up owning you. If your whole focus in life is to get happy by the accumulation of things, it will end up dead end. Dead end. If you don't believe me, just ask Elvis Presley. Just, just ask Michael Jackson. Just ask Whitney Houston. Just ask Prince. We're talking about people that had it all. And they died miserable died miserable. So don't let the focus of blessing be the blessing of things. Things will end up becoming your God, and things will end up becoming a curse if they become your God. So God wants to bless you more than just with things. God realizes that the void in your life that desire for happiness can only be, that hole can only be plugged with things from His Spirit. So the word of the Lord to you this morning, far greater than God's natural favor are His spiritual and eternal blessings. Would you write that down? I'm talking about the blessing of contentment. The psalmist says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Blessings of divine protection. Jesus said, I've given you authority to trample over snakes, scorpions, to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. Blessings of God confidence. I can do all things through Christ Jesus who strengthens me and the blessings of godly character but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives love, joy, peace, patience kindness, goodness, faithfulness but it's more 
There's more. God wants to bless you with more. He not only wants to bless you in the here and now with natural and spiritual blessings, God wants to bless you in the future. In fact, all of your tomorrows, I'm talking about the blessing of eternal life, the blessing of heaven. Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Write it down with me. We conquer Curse Mountain by being blessing-minded. Are you blessing-minded? Do you expect blessings? Or do you go around mumbling in your mouth, Nothing good ever comes my way. It happens for other people, but not for me. Jesus said in Mark 11, verse 24, again, this is New Testament, not Old Testament. Therefore, I say to you, whatever things you ask, when you pray, you're you're supposed to have what kind of attitude? Believe that you receive them when you pray. Believe that your miracle is just right around the corner. Expect the best, not the worst. Believe that you receive them, and you will have them. The other night, how many guys my age, your wife's kind of getting tired of cooking and grocery shopping. Don't raise your hand. You'd get in big trouble. Now, Becky works hard all day long. She works in the office. She's a staff member, and, and, uh, and rightfully so. We're, you know, we're pretty much, pretty much empty nesters. Uh, getting close, and uh, the other night, I said, would you like to go out? And, and, and I was hoping she'd say no. <laughs> and, and, uh, and I said, where do you want to go? And I was hoping she'd say KFC, <laughs> Boston Market, <laughs> you know, uh, uh, Olive Garden. Now, no offense to you Italian dear saints in the church, but uh, to me, a dream dinner is uh, sitting back in my recliner with some good old country fried chicken. (laughs) I'm feeling it right now. I'm having a spiritual experience. (laughs) We get there to Olive Garden, I look at the menu, and... When I go out to dinner, most of the time I try to find something under 10 bucks. I mean, over $10. I mean, we're getting expensive. I mean, I'm looking, everything on that stinking menu is over. I hope there's no Olive Garden people here right now. Everything is, I mean, $15 and over. And so I'm looking for the cheapest deal on the block, on the menu, and spaghetti. And so I said, I'm ordering spaghetti. And I was even embarrassed when the waitress came and I said, I want spaghetti. And so I, I just got a, a small portion of spaghetti. And um, waitress comes and I'm waiting, waiting for the, the, the bill. And I said, where's the bill? And she said, you remember that gentleman you said hi to that was at the bar? A guy I don't even recognize I've never seen before in my whole life, but he knew me. He paid for your whole bill. 
please order dessert. <laughs> I should have gotten, I should have gotten, you know, chicken Alfredo and the, you know, this big dessert and, uh, you know, coffee that had a flavor to, I mean, but I had, I, I had a, I call a spaghetti mentality, <laughs> a spaghetti mindset. Honey, sir, Christian, are you walking around with spaghetti mindset? Are you in a spaghetti lifestyle? Are, are you one of those that said, nothing good ever comes my way? It always comes other people's, but never knocks at the door. You know, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to the grave with this sickness. I'm never going to get a better job. I'm never going to get a promotion. Uh, I'm never going to get a bonus. Uh, uh, no, nothing good ever. I'm never going to find true love. Nobody is ever going to want to marry me. I'm never going to have to. I'm never going to find a Holy Spirit filled, born again, blood washed Christian husband or a Christian wife. I'm just going to have to settle for whatever comes my way. That's a spaghetti mentality. I said, that's a spaghetti mentality. And stop it in the name of Jesus. Stop your spaghetti men mentality and learn to be blessing-minded. God told Joshua, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you will meditate upon it day and night that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. Did you hear that? If you want to become more blessing-minded, if you want to become more miracle-minded, saturate uh, and meditate uh, upon the Word of God. Let His promises saturate your mind and your attitude. You'll change your walk and talk. You'll start looking for blessings and miracles around every corner. You'll square your shoulders and lift your head up high. I'm a king's kid, and blessings are coming my way. I wonder what's going to happen next. I want to foster a miracle mentality. Amen. Step up to God's banqueting table and receive as you believe. Best of all, the price has already been paid at Calvary. Hallelujah. He's already paid the tab, so expect it. Now, when I preach like that, when I teach like that, I understand that I needed to put prosperity in perspective. There's a lot of false teaching, unbiblical teaching that's going around the church today that God wants every, every, every Christian to be a zillionaire. Let's put that into balance. Write it down with me. There's a major difference between the world's idea of prosperity and God's prosperity plan. Do you know that? Any prosperity teaching that promotes that God wants you rich in the world's idea is unbiblical and false teaching. Worldly prosperity is limited to mostly money and the things that money can buy. God's prosperity means health, a happy home, joy, peace, salvation, heaven, and a Savior that will never leave you or forsake you. You can't put a price tag on God's prosperity. It's priceless. <laughs> Write it down. We conquer Cursed Mountain by realizing that God is the owner of all. 
And we are his managers. I've spent much of my week this week in pre-op with some of the saints here from Lakeside. When I'm in pre-op with you, I see you in a whole different light, don't I? That's why some of you don't call me. Or Pastor Hal. Yeah, when we're in pre-op, and I've been there, I've been there, I've been in recovery. You know, uh, I was in, we were talking the other day. I, I was in, in pre-op with Sam Giordano. We were with Fred Reynolds. Keep Fred Reynolds the Lord, up in the Lord in prayer. Fred and Lois have been going through a difficult time, but God is faithful. And we were talking about the silly things people do when they come out of recovery. They're still under the anesthesia. You know, I, I was still under the anesthesia uh, coming out of recovery, and they caught me. I had gotten off the gurney, and I was going from gurney to gurney, laying hands on people and praying over them <laughs> that God would heal them. <laughs> and you know, what they, you know what they caught Sam Giordano doing? you mind me if I share? <laughs> you don't have a choice now, do you? <laughs> he was still under the anesthesia, and they caught him singing Frank Sinatra's song, I Did It My Way. <laughs> Hey, when you're in pre-op and you're wearing that smock thing, you're wearing that little sheet, and I don't know why some engineer cannot devise a better plan. I've never figured that out. When you're laying there and you recognize you're about to go under, things become really clear, don't they? You came from God with nothing. You're going to return to Him with nothing. In fact, dear one, you own nothing. Nothing. And what, and what God has given you, you're going to leave behind. You don't even own your next breath. Can you determine your next breath? Do you have control over that? Do you have control of your next heartbeat? Your life, all that you've accumulated... Really, all that God has given you is in His hands. With just the flick of His fingers, you could lose it all. Don't believe me? Read Job chapter 1 and 2. We own nothing. God owns everything. He is owner. We are His managers. He has all the rights. We have all the responsibilities. And one day we'll stand before Him and give a report on what we did with all that He gave us. Are you with me in this? Real prosperity is understanding that concept. Until you understand that principle that God is owner and you are nothing but a manager, a steward, you will not walk in divine prosperity. Curse Mountain is conquered by faithful giving. What God places in your hand for real prosperity is mastering your money instead of your money mastering you. When God talks about blessings and curses, He attaches it with what He's prospered us with. 
Malachi chapter 3, verse 8, Will a man rob God, yet you have robbed me? But you say, In what way have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring the, all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing, there will not be room enough to receive it. Again, God is saying, choose life, not death. Choose blessing, not curse. You see that. Many of you remember the years of years, years ago. It's got to be now some 20 plus years ago. We were over here at Target, and I thought I'd test my son just as God tests us. We were getting ready to check out, and they contrived those checkout places like a gauntlet of torture, candy everywhere, to torture parents with young children. Because Jonathan was going, I want a Kit Kat bar. I want a Kit Kat bar. Daddy, give me a, Daddy, can I have a chocolate Kit Kat bar? Then it struck me. I'm going to test him. I bought it for him. He unwrapped it. And just before he bit into it, I said, could I have the first bite? Oh, yes, I did. I said, can I have the first? He said, no way. I said, but I bought that for you. I paid that. I paid for that. I gave it to you. Can I have the first? But just no way. And he chomped into it. And he's, now he's laughing at me. And he's eating it. I said, please, please, Jonathan, can I have just a teeny, weeny, itsy, bitsy little bite of your Kit Kat bar, please? Took the whole remaining part and went, (laughs) just laughing at me. Yeah. How many of us do the same? What has God placed in your hand? You're not responsible for what God has given others. What has God given you? God gave a widow in the Bible her last meal. It was a pancake for her and her son. It was a time of famine. And God put a pancake in her hand. And God told the widow to feed prophet Elijah with her last pancake, her last meal before her and her son died. She stepped out by faith. She gave what God placed in her hand. And the Bible says for the next three years, she didn't have to go grocery shopping. Every time she went to her pantry, her pots were overflowing with God's blessings, God's goodness. God placed, what has God placed in your hand? God placed a lunch in a little boy's hand. (laughs) He placed a lunch of loaves and fishes in a little boy's hand. And little boys, they're hungry. And that little boy, though, when he heard that Jesus had a need, he said, Jesus, you can have all of my lunch. And by giving all that was placed in his hand, uh, my Bible and your Bible says that because of the miracle, because of all the leftovers, that little boy, he not only had a lunch, he had seconds, he had thirds, there were 12 basketfuls left over, and God will do the same for you when you let go of what God has placed in your hand hand, he will let go of what's in his hand and bless you abundantly. Amen. 
Move into God's prosperity plan. Move into God's blessing plan. This is how we conquer Curse Mountain. Amen. Real prosperity, write it down, is conquering Curse Mountain. It's managing your greatest asset. What's your greatest asset? Your family. Your family. When I'm at the grocery store, when I'm at the bank or here at the church, and I see young parents leading their sheep, leading their little children, I've often said to those young dads, I'd get my right arm to go back and be in your shoes again. These are the greatest days, though empty nesting's pretty good too. <laughs> These are the greatest days. Your greatest asset is your family, your marriage. Hear me in this. Fill your home with lots of love, encouragement, hugs, kisses. Build memories. One of the greatest gifts that any of my children have ever given me is from my eldest daughter, my eldest child, my Julie. Because as a parent, you look back and say, I wish I'd have done this. I wish I'd have done this different. You wonder, you know, do the kids have regrets? And I always tried, you know, I was always been so busy with the ministry. Yet when we had vacation, it always had a vacation with Phil is always over the top. It always had to be something crazy, wild out there. And I would, for months ahead of time, I would plan our vacations to be the greatest adventure. And there's a poster hanging in my garage right now. If you ever visit me, it's there in my garage. And, and, and that's my favorite place, my, my man place, my man cave. And there's a guy jumping off a cliff into the water. And my daughter, Julie, wrote in big uh, red paint, Dad, thanks for the memories. Thanks for the memories. Prosperity is managing your greatest asset. Prosperity is building beautiful memories with your children and with your grandchildren. This is real prosperity. This is a responsibility upon us as stewards and managers of God's blessings. Enjoying God's prosperity plan means leaving your children and your grandchildren a legacy of faithfulness. Listen, when your grandchildren and when your children see you faithfully praying and faithfully lifting up your hands in praise and worship to God, when they see you doing this, they see you putting God first. When they see you faithfully loving your spouse, loving your wife, their mother, loving uh, your husband, their father, they see you putting God first, when they see you faithfully tithing and giving to missions and, and giving to the work of the Lord here at Lakeside, they see you putting God first. When they see you faithfully involved in ministry and giving of your time and talent, they see you putting God first. For Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added to you. The point is simple, putting God first. Puts your whole life in order. Puts your life and your family into the position of blessing and God's favor. Failing to put God first in your life or your family, you'll reap what you sow and leave you stranded on Curse Mountain. 
The only way, the only way to begin conquering Curse Mountain. Sadly, would you agree with me? We have all failed in keeping God's commandments. From pastor to parishioner, from pulpit to pew, none of us have measured up to God's expectations. There's not one soul in this room that has perfectly 100% of the time kept all of God's expectations, all of His commandments, a blessing in our lives. Galatians chapter 3 verse 10 then gives us no hope. And I remind you again, this is New Testament, not Old Testament. The Bible says in Galatians 3.10, Cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things, which are written in the book of the law to do them. If you have failed in one point of the law, if you have failed just once in keeping God's commandments, you have failed in all. Pastor, is that just preaching or is that Bible? It's both. It's Bible and it's anointed preaching. James chapter 3 declares, too, For whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point, he is guilty of all. My Bible says, your Bible says, All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So that means that since not a one of us have kept perfectly the law of God all the time, throughout all of our lives, we're all under a curse. By both, we are sinners by nature. We inherited that from our parents. We're sinners by nature, and we're sinners by behavior. We have all failed. And if you fail in one point of the law, you fail in all of it. And there's no hope. Tuesday night, Tuesday night, Tuesday night, I was asked to come and pray again at Shelby Township City Hall. And I greeted everybody, uh, the trustees. Uh, I said, long time no see. I would just been with them for the Memorial Day ceremony at Shelby Township where they'd asked me to uh, pray and give a word. And, and so uh, I greeted all of them. I gave the uh, Pledge of Allegiance, and you can watch it on TV, on Shelby TV. I, gave the, I led in the Pledge of Allegiance, and then I prayed and asked for God's presence, protection, blessing. And then I prayed for blessing upon the state of Michigan, and I ended up by saying, God bless America. After leaving the meeting, I walked out into the vestibule area, and I noticed a man quickly following me out. And I thought, well, you know, he's got to go somewhere. Yeah, his somewhere was me. And he shoved his, that's when I needed you with me, uh, J.D. <laughs> he shoved his face into mine, and he said, I want you to know that your prayer offended me. Uh, I said, well, it won't be the first time that something I've said is offense. <laughs> I said, what, what was it? When you prayed, God bless America. I agree with Bishop Wright. 
President Obama's pastor, Bishop Wright, you should have prayed God blank America. You can fill in the blank. I say God blank America. I was offended with God bless America. All the perversion and the evil going on in our nation, you should have prayed God blank America. I said, sir, if God ever cursed America, there would be complete annihilation, complete oblivion. You and I would not even exist. You should not even entertain the aspect of God cursing America. We deserve judgment. This nation is full of all kinds of evils. That's why I pray God bless America because included in God's blessings are God's mercy. If there was ever a time America needs the mercy of God, it's now. And that's why we pray God bless America. I want you to know I was offended. I said, sir, there's no middle ground between blessing and cursing. And there is one who hung upon the cross, sir. And his name is Jesus. And he became a curse for us. He took our curse of sin upon himself. He became a curse for us. And my Jesus and your Jesus reversed the curse. And now for those who put their love and trust in Jesus Christ, there's only blessing and no longer any curse. He said, well, I want you to know I'm still a and I don't agree with that. And I'll never darken the door of your church. I said, that's all right with me. It's fine. I feel sorry for you. And I was walking away, and his face, his face triggered memories. It was back in 1989 as a young kid pastor. I stood before that Shelby Township Hall pleading, pleading for the permission to build on this property, pleading with them to build this holy sanctuary. And they asked if anyone was opposed, and it was that man that got up to the microphone and opposed the building of this church. He said, Shelby Township's going to lose all kinds of tax revenue. And if I was that pastor, I'd build that church way out in the country somewhere. I'm glad I can stand before you today and say, upon this rock, he will build his church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Can I hear an amen this morning? Hallelujah. He's reversed the, the curse and his church is marching on. Glory to God. I should have said in the name of Jesus, come out. I thought like, you talk about demonic. Demonic. Galatians 3.13 Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. He who was perfect, he who knew no sin, he who perfectly obeyed God all the time, every time, 
took on our disobedience, took upon himself our curse so that we can walk in blessing. We can live in victory, fill in the blank, not because of who we are, but because of who our victor is. Jesus, the conqueror of Curse Mountain. Jesus conquered Curse Mountain by another mountain called Mount Calvary. And from Mount Calvary, he shouted out, what? It is finished. It is finished for every follower of Jesus Christ, for every believer, for every blood-bought child of God. I declare to you, if Jesus is in you and you are in Jesus, there's no longer curse, but only blessing. Not because of what you have done. Not because of who you are, but because of whose you are. For the glory of God. That's why the Bible says, there is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. That's why the Bible says, we are the the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That's why the Bible says uh, if anyone is in Christ Jesus, old things have passed away and all things have become brand new. If Jesus is being Jesus in you, God looks down upon you and says, this is my child in whom I'm well pleased. Honey, sir, young person, we stand righteous before God as though we have perfectly fulfilled every commandment in the word of the Lord. Again, all because Jesus has conquered Curse Mountain. As Cindy comes to the keyboard this morning, I hate to admit it, but one of my favorite movies is Gladiator. And I love that dramatic part where the gladiator has won a great victory in the Colosseum. And Caesar, the emperor, comes striding down and wants to know gladiator's name. Gladiator still has his mask, his helmet on. The emperor says, don't you turn your back on me. Tell me your name. What is your name? Gladiator turns around, pulls off his helmet, and says, my name is Maximus Decimus Meridius, commander of the armies of the north, general of the Felix legions, and loyal servant to the true emperor. But being a Christ follower, being a follower of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, means we have a far better name. We have a far better calling. When Satan, old Slewfoot, the devil, asks and says this, what is your name? Tell me your name. You and I can respond by saying, I am a Christian. I am a blood-bought, Bible-believing, a born-again, demon-fighting soldier of the cross. <laughs> my past has been forgiven. My present is redeemed. My future is secure. My sights are set on heaven. I will not, I will not be distracted. I will not be delayed. I will not be detoured. I'm going to run the race that is set before me. I will fight a good fight. I will finish my course. I will keep the faith. Hallelujah. I am Christian. I am Christian. Would you stand with me this morning? I am Christian.
If Jesus is Jesus in you, if you're in Christ and Christ is within you, then you can claim this promise of John chapter 10, verse 10. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy and can I say curse, but I have come that they may have life and they may have it more abundantly. People always ask me, what was that last blank? Give us the last blank. When you're in Jesus, and Jesus is in you, there's no curse. There's no curse. I said there's no curse. For those who believe He paid the price on the cross, He became a curse for us. He's already conquered Curse Mountain. No curse, only blessing. Father, in the name of Jesus, today we stand before you in reverence, in praise, thanksgiving. Lord, we stand here in awe that you would love us so much. You sent your best to conquer the curse so that we might enjoy only blessing. Lord, we thank you. We thank you. We thank you. Perhaps you're here this morning as every head is bowed and every eye is closed. And this morning, you can't rejoice in that fact of blessing instead of cursing because you have not yet committed your life to Jesus. You're not sure you're right with God. You're not sure you're on a highway to heaven. This morning, if you're unsure, I don't want you to leave uncertain. I want you to choose life. I want you to choose blessing and not curse. If you need to get right with God this morning, I'm going to pray a prayer. A prayer that will not only make you right with God, it will give you a home in heaven. It will give you blessing. If you want to be included in this prayer, just lift up your hand right now so that I can see it. Lift it up high. God bless you. God bless you. How many more? Lift it up high if you want to be included in this prayer. God bless you. How many more? How many more? I don't want to leave anyone out. Precious Jesus. Precious Jesus. Main floor. Balcony. How many more? Keep those hands lifted up. I want you to own this prayer even right now. Everyone pray it, especially those who have lifted their hands in faith believing. Dear Jesus, I confess I've sinned. I'm a sinner. I'm under the curse. But Jesus, you reversed the curse at Mount Calvary. I believe you paid the price for me. You died for me. You took my curse upon yourself. You want only blessing for me. I believe you rose from the dead with resurrection life. I want that life, Jesus, a blessed life. Thank you, Jesus, for hearing me. Thank you for blessings in the here and now and in the hereafter. 
I thank you, Jesus, that I'm born again. I thank you, Jesus, that I am saved. In the name of Jesus, I pray this. And everyone would say, Amen. Let's give God praise and glory this morning. Praise the Lord.